0: Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Network.
1: Now your host, Jared Serbu.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week, and we've got two separate conversations to share this time. Later on in the program, we'll talk with several senior Army officials about the latest developments on modernizing the Army's tactical networks, and how that work feeds into a newly released unified network plan stretching from now until 2028. First up, though, fixing the military's household goods moving system. U.S. Transportation Command has been talking about restructuring the whole thing for several years now. The basic idea is to make one single company the managed service provider to oversee the whole system. Transcom's first try got derailed by a successful bid protest last year. Now it's re-awarded the global household goods contract to one of the companies that lost the first time around. The initial award is worth an estimated $6.2 billion over the next three years. could be worth up to $20 billion if DOD renews its options for a full nine years. The winning firm this time is called HomeSafe Alliance. It's a new joint venture owned by KBR and Tier 1 Relocation. Our guest to talk about how this huge change to the military moving system would actually work is HomeSafe's CEO, Al Thompson. Before he took this job, he'd previously served as director of the Defense Logistics Agency and before that, commander of Naval Supply Systems Command. Al, thanks for taking the time. And, and, and I especially want to note for our listeners that it is extremely rare in my experience for a vendor to be willing to talk about what their plans are so soon after a contract award when a when a bid protest might still be coming. And because of that, I'm sure there are some things that the lawyers have told you you have to be a little bit careful about here. So I, I do appreciate you being willing to talk us through this again at this early stage. But with that whole long-winded windup, I think the way I want to start our conversation is to ask you from your point of view and from HomeSafe's point of view to diagnose the problem a little bit people i think generally know that the system as it exists now doesn't work very well but what are some of the root causes from that as far as your company can tell really the question here is what's wrong and what are you going to fix
2: yes no absolutely and you're right and it's not to you know be critical of of anyone or any organization that is currently managing uh, or delivering the household goods moves for the members of the armed forces and and Department of Defense civilians that are on funded transfer orders. Uh, but it has several uh, areas where our solution is going to improve the future. And, and the first is we're going to deliver a very modern uh, cutting edge technology solution that will provide uh, it will be a much more customer-focused solution with constant communication with the military service member, the DOD civilian, the customer. And at the same time, we'll also provide a capability to the more than 2,500 uh, movers, many of which are small business, and we have a big focus on, on trying to uh, maximize the participation of small business. But because they are small businesses, They are not able to invest in uh, an information technology solution that helps them most efficiently and effectively manage their business. And we're going to provide that. Uh, And also, by virtue of having a single global integrator with this cutting edge technology, um, we will have an organization that has the entire global picture on move requirements and therefore be able to work with our a large number of industry partners uh, to better plan their workload. And that will be, you know, a big help with increasing peak season capacity. And that's another big dissatisfier where uh, in the summer months, you know, roughly May through August, uh, the majority of military moves occur. And the industry struggles to keep up with that demand because in the rest of the year, the demand signal is much lower, and so we've come up with a number of techniques to help boost peak season capacity. While, you know, essentially we're helping uh, to allow the the many local movers to be fully successful outside the peak season. And you know, an underlying principle is we are incentivizing quality, so the higher quality movers will get more workload and we believe by working closely with those that are not at kind of the desired quality level to improve their quality that the the moving experience for our customers is going to be dramatically better.
0: And that global view that you talked about to me that seems like the biggest change here and that's not necessarily a home safe specific innovation that's really what the GHC contract was supposed to do because as i understand it in the current system there's nothing even approximating a global view. It's very localized. Nobody has any real idea how much capacity is in the system at any one time because they're just contracting move by move. Is that a fair characterization of how things work now?
2: Yes, I I think so. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot more to, you know, the current state, but I I do believe you've captured it accurately. And I think that having this global system integrator, you know, with, uh, visibility of the entire demand, the requirement, is is a key part of this dramatic improvement.
0: And I, I don't know how much you can talk about this with a potential protest still pending here, but, but the relationships between HomeSafe and the actual movers on the ground, those small companies that you talked about, is that more or less direct, where you, you contract or subcontract with them directly, or is, are there van lines or other middlemen in between?
2: Well, first of all, I'd like to convey that we need the entire movie industry to support us, and that is our plan. And so it will be a combination where, in some cases, we're going direct. Some cases, we're working with uh, van lines, and we have uh, developed, well-developed relationships with them. So, it'll be a combination. And, you know, I think one of the messages I'd like to convey to industry is, you know, there's concern about, well, you know, this is going to be harmful to my business. And actually, it's going to be good for everybody because you're going to have, uh, I believe, more business if you're a high quality mover. And we're providing, you know, an information technology enabler, uh, particularly if you're a small business, to run it more efficiently and effectively. So, uh, so, I think there are many attributes to uh, what we're going to deliver that is going to be great for the moving industry.
0: Um, that incentivizing quality piece seems pretty important to me. can Can you talk about ex- exactly how you plan to measure and benchmark quality, mover by mover, and, and what those incentives look like?
2: Yes. And uh, again, I, I you know have to uh, avoid getting into too much detail, but Essentially, we will be um, managing a what we call carrier quality index, which has several different components, you know, that will be um, essentially a quality of performance measure for all of our movers. And the higher your evaluated score, the more workload you will get. And then we're going to couple with that for those that aren't meeting, you know, our standards, uh, a very Uh, robust outreach effort to assist them getting up to our standard. And so, again, we believe this is going to, you know, over time, dramatically improve the moving experience.
0: And I assume that's really almost entirely survey-based, just asking individual military movers how their experience was, or do you have other ways to measure?
2: Unfortunately, I can't describe it in detail at this point in time, but um, it certainly has a customer satisfaction element. It also has things like uh, timeliness and, and a few other uh, factors. So uh, it's not purely a survey.
0: And what does the customer-facing piece of all this look like? I mean, what's my, how is my actual experience changing as a military mover? I mean, do I have a HomeSafe app where I can, where I can do various things? Because there's not a lot of communication between military movers and moving companies as it stands now.
2: Yes. Once again, you're exactly right. It's uh, app-based on the customer side, uh, and they can use uh, a number of different um, devices, whatever works for them, or if they'd prefer a more manual experience, we can do it that way. But for those that are comfortable uh, using an app, it means that from essentially the beginning of the process through the very end, they're going to have a very modern, you know, cutting-edge, app-based app based ability to communicate with home Safe. and so that uh, begins with the initial survey of you know what needs to be moved to the actual execution of the the packing and loading to uh, near real-time updates on location of their uh, household goods and arranging you know the delivery on uh, ultimately and in the rare cases where there's any damage done a uh, um, you know a an app based online claim process that is going to rapidly or very much speed up the claims process. So and again, uh, much increased communication uh, between the uh, between HomeSafe and our uh, customers.
0: Yeah, and that that damage claims thing, you know, reminds me that of this whole managed service provider kind of role, because I think in the past, movers would make their damage claims directly to DOD or to Transcom. HomeSafe is the payer now in this case. uh, And that's just covered under the terms of the contract. How how does that all work? And is that really different than how things how things work now?
2: Well, yes, again, you know, that will flow through HomeSafe as the global uh, integrator. And so uh, now, you know, of course, there'll be a relationship or uh, interaction between HomeSafe and and our uh, mover. But uh, but as far as the service member is concerned, from beginning to end, they will in- interact with HomeSafe.
0: Interesting. Um want to talk about peak season here a bit. You said that you have various techniques to increase uh, capacity during peak season. I'm really curious how that's going to work, if you can get into any kind of detail on it.
2: Well, I'll, I'll have to keep it at a somewhat high level at this point. But as a part of our uh, end-to-end uh, technology solution, which we call home Safe Connect, uh, we have developed uh, a very robust artificial intelligence-driven uh, system to optimize loads and routes. So today, let's say between military concentration area of Hampton Roads, Virginia, Norfolk, in San Diego, you know, there's a tremendous uh, volume of household goods shipments. But if you were to go out on the interstates and track these moving vans, many of them are chasing each other half full. Uh, through the use of our, you know, HomeSafe Connect solution, we believe that more of those trucks are going to be full. And so, what that does is significantly reduce cost uh, for the movers. And frankly, uh, increase their bottom line performance, because instead of driving half empty vans coast to coast, they're going to be much more close to 100% full. And that leverages capacity that's kind of hidden today. It's out there, but we can't get at it because we don't have this global uh, system integrator. But in the future and in peak season where it's particularly critical, we will have that. Uh, we also have some other innovative uh, solutions related to transportation that will significantly um, increase the capacity. And by working very closely with, you know, local movers or subcontractors, incentivizing quality. Part of the arrangement is going to be guarantees of providing peak season capacity, and and essentially their reward is we'll guarantee them. Uh, a certain level of business non-peak. And so we think that'll cause many of these businesses to invest in their business uh, so that they benefit from, you know, greater business volume, both peak and non-peak. So those are just a few examples of how we're going to increase significantly peak season capacity.
0: Um, Makes a lot of sense on its face. The thing that makes me wonder, though, is do you sacrifice timeliness a little bit if trucks only move from their point of origin after they're completely full?
2: Well, no, because a lot of it again is you know the the single integrator that has full visibility. So again, let's go back to the Hampton Roads Norfolk area. You know, today we have many different uh, participants, but it's not coordinated, and so frankly, a lot of time is wasted doing that. And now, given You know, we will have the full picture and we have an enabling technology solution to um, to arrange this. We can meet the the time standards uh, and still fill the capacity. So so, no, it's it's not going to be a time delay at all. You know, we're going to meet the time standards in the contract um, or exceed them.
0: Just one more beat on the on the peak season issue. Um, I understand everything you're saying about increasing or maximizing utilization amongst the transportation service providers, but I think they're really not the only bottleneck during peak season, right? It's not just the transportation providers, it's also the packers at a local level. Do you have ways to uh, manage that a little bit better?
2: We do, and unfortunately, again, I can't get into uh, tremendous <laughs> detail, but you know and i'm sorry uh, but uh at some point i'd be happy to but no we we have some very innovative uh parts of our end-to-end process to to help local movers um sustain you know the appropriate staffing and and part of it again goes back to the visibility of workload i mean today many local movers and as you know packers oftentimes are part-time and today you know a local mover might need a hundred people on Tuesday and twenty people on Thursday, but they don't. They oftentimes don't become aware of that soon enough, and so when they need to basically peak their workforce, they're scrambling and perhaps can't, you know, get the people on board. Uh, and so I think through this integrated solution, uh, they're going to know with you know appropriate lead time what are their workload requirements? And I think that's going to uh, uh, really help them have the appropriate staffing on the day at the location where it's required.
0: Talking with Al Thompson, he's the CEO of HomeSafe, the company U.S. Transportation Command just selected to run the entire military's household goods moving system. We'll talk more after a break on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is On DoD. I'm Jared Serbia. Dell Technologies and VMware are working together to accelerate digital transformation across all facets of government, enabling agencies to efficiently deliver critical services, empower employees with wherever and whenever access to data, and prepare for what's next. VMware's innovative app modernization, multi-cloud, and anywhere workspace software work with Dell Technologies' broad IT infrastructure portfolio, helping agencies achieve secure, consistent operations and faster time to value. Visit delltechnologies.com/federal to learn about our innovations that move our government Forward. forward. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu, talking in this part of the show with Al Thompson. He's the CEO of HomeSafe, the new joint venture U.S. Transportation Command just picked to run the military's entire household goods moving system. The initial award valued at $6.2 billion, possibly up to $20 billion over the next nine years. And Al, let's talk about next steps a little bit here, understanding that potential bid protests are still a bit of an X factor here. But if all goes well, if all goes according to plan, Um, What needs to happen during this phase-in process uh, for you to completely get on board with Transcom and actually start handling moves?
2: Right. Well, there is a uh, nine-month transition in uh, period in the contract. And so uh, when we're directed by Transcom to begin the transition, we will. Uh, We have a very detailed uh, plan to bring home safe to life. We've already done considerable work. Uh, in, you know, developing and testing the HomeSafe Connect solution, Uh, but clearly uh, making sure that is absolutely ready to go is a key part of that transition period. So we have a a very well-developed plan to do that. Um, You know, there are lots of other things that have to happen because HomeSafe is uh, a new company that's being formed. That is totally focused on meeting the requirements of the global household goods contract, and uh, and so you know there there are things like staffing and uh, that sort of thing. I I guess I would also add that the part of our concept is to establish uh, a new hub of operations, and I can't be specific on location, but I would tell you that it's uh, it's in a military concentration area, and uh, part of our intent. Is to have a very active um, military spouse uh, and veteran hiring program, and so we think that uh, that'll be an additional, you know, positive benefit of our um, uh, plan going forward.
0: Do you have a rough sense of what your actual workforce needs are going to be once you uh, get up and running here?
2: Yes, we absolutely do. We we have a well developed, uh, you know, staffing plan uh, you know, broken down by geographic location and, you know, what, uh, what their responsibilities are going to be. And, uh, and we're already, you know, working to present those opportunities, you know, to individuals that are interested in joining the the home safe team. But
0: since I didn't hear a number there, am I right in assuming it's not something you can talk about yet?
2: (laughs) No, I'd prefer not to go there just yet, but it's a, uh, you know, it'll be a significant number of people. And, um, and again, we, we have a well-developed strategy to attract the top talent to these positions that also understand the customer base and, uh, and will be very responsive to um, our mission.
0: I guess the last thing I wonder here, Al, is is from the from the military mover's perspective, does their experience beyond having this app and all this great technology change as far as how their PCS orders are processed, how a mover is selected on their behalf, any of that interplay between, you know, a local DOD transportation office and the the moving
2: company on the other end? Well, it will change. And, you know, again, HomeSafe is going to be, you know, the integrator. And so you know, we will um, uh, we will be directed by um, the Department of Defense for every move, and uh, at that point, you know, we will reach out to the member in several different ways uh, to introduce ourselves, to get them onto our app, and and you know assist with the continued counseling, which will begin you know with the individual um, military service. Oftentimes, it's done at an installation or base level, but then we pick it up from there. And uh, we'll be their single focal point, you know, from uh, scheduling to doing their survey to doing their actual move and then the ultimate delivery. And uh, in the rare case, because we're improving quality, that there might be any damages to uh, addressing any claims concerns they have. And obviously, you know, we're doing this under a contract with U.S. Transcom, and, you know, we will be uh, keeping U.S. Transcom uh, and the military services fully informed as we perform the end-to-end process. We have worked for a considerable period of time to, you know, develop our very innovative technology-enabled solution Um, as someone who served 35 years in the United States Navy Um, and moved 20 times, I am absolutely convinced this is going to transform the uh, experience for our Department of Defense customers, whether they be members of the armed forces or DOD civilians that are uh, moving on government permanent change of station uh, orders. And it will also be very positive for the moving industry. Uh, They will have much more predictable workload, we're incentivizing uh, efforts to become a high-quality mover, and, uh, and we need the entire industry for us to be successful, and I know they're going to uh, uh, support this effort. And so I think it'll be good news for industry, and I think it'll be very good news for the uh, members of the armed forces and DOD civilians that move on government orders.
0: Al Thompson is CEO of HomeSafe Alliance, the company that just won the U.S. Transportation Command's $6.2 billion contract to run the military's household goods moving system. And we do hope to be able to talk some more about how this whole initiative actually works in practice once it's up and running sometime late next calendar year. Another short break, and we'll switch gears when we come back as we get an update from three senior Army leaders about that service's tactical network. That's next on Federal News Network. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Thanks for listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And as we've talked about on this show several times before, the Army has been busy over the last few years solving technical capability gaps in the communications networks soldiers use on the battlefield. That whole modernization effort is still very much underway as the Army continues to field new gear and incremental capability sets. But now there's a broader plan to tie the tactical network to the enterprise network with cloud capabilities helping out all along the way. The Army published a new unified network plan along those lines in October. For more on all of that, I talked with three senior Army leaders at the annual AUSA conference in Washington. Major General Rob Collins is the program executive officer for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical. Brigadier General Jeff Ray is director of the network cross-functional team at Army Futures Command. And Joe Welch is the director of the C-5 ISR Center, part of the Army's Combat Capabilities Development Command. General Collins is the first voice you'll hear.
1: We've had a significant amount of momentum uh, going on with the network modernization effort and I think one of the things we've learned early on is uh, the ability to deliver the network all at once and kind of a single big bang type of an approach is not necessarily feasible nor nor affordable so we've adopted these capability sets that you've talked about there's four really lines of effort that we've been focused in on from a cape set strategy you know the yes the network also the convergence uh, really on the data piece and how we collapse a lot of the visualization tools for single point of glass. We've also been looking at uh, how do we address joint and coalition interoperability, a third line of effort, and then fourth, you know, survivability and, and command post initiative. So those are the four things that we've been focused um, on. Cape set 21 specifically focused in on infantry formations. Across those, uh, we're roughly about halfway through the fielding now uh, both uh, 82nd uh, we've touched and we've just uh, finished up on the 25th infantry division uh, I would tell you we've taken a lot of lessons feet uh, you know a lot of lessons on usability uh, usability from how you do network planning and management uh, and how do you adopt the ease of use for a, uh, a planner to be able to you know implement you know plan and execute a network plan now that we have many more options for them to uh, to be able to go out and execute, and other things too on these software pro- programmable radios. Just how do you employ them? Uh, how do you distribute, and maneuver the network, and things even down to you know cables and, and power management. So I think we've had a lot of lessons learned there. We'll finish that up. Some of those lessons we are addressing on the spot, and then we'll continue to iterate those as we move out on Cape Set 23, which is now going to take us into striker formations, uh, continuing to improve the capacity, the resiliency adding in more of the data fabrics, the SATCOM, and then as we get into Set 25 starting to really think about how do we protect the network and then automate some of the functionality. So that's just kind of a little bit of a a landscape in the construct, and I really think iterating that uh, has been very helpful in really taking that soldier-centric design and iterating that feedback.
3: One of
0: the things I saw and heard from soldiers when we were out at JRTC during one of these first iterations was just how different it was having a multiplicity of different communications paths. And this is what we were talking about back at the booth before, right? And that that is a little bit what's different than it might've been two, three years ago, where you can rely on multiple different forms of connectivity where that might not have been true two, three years ago. Has that continued to bear itself out as you've gone through more of these cycles this year? I
1: I think as the unit gets more proficiency reps and sets with the capability, they're starting to understand the various types of capabilities within CAPESet 21. So down at those lower formations, the traditional uh, push-to-talk um, capability is available. We've also enhanced with a satellite capability, what we call MuOS. First time ever that we've pushed a satellite capability down to those lower echelons, and then, and then a uh, mobile ad hoc network, uh, what we call TSM capability. It's a mesh network for them to be able to push out, and it operates in a couple bands based on the terrain features, and so. As we've started to train and make them more proficient, not just the buttonology, but the employment, the ability to maneuver the network, I think we've seen a lot more proficiency. But they have, you know, many more options in the primary alternate contingency and emergency pace plan, as we call, uh, to be able to employ. And I think that's helpful. But we continue to drive down usability. It's, it's a big focus area that uh, it's in a journey that we will continue to push on.
0: And General Ray, that takes us back to something that you brought up earlier in one of the discussions here at AUSA, which is that, uh, based on your experience, it just doesn't make sense and we can't take networks forward with us to the, to the extent that we did in a place like Afghanistan. What does everything that we just heard tell us about how the future of field networking is going to have to work?
4: Yeah, so let me give you a, just a simple example. That, um, so you know the attack on Al-Assad? That required an incredible pace. We knew it was coming. That was a good thing because we were able to put a pace plan in place. So every single communicator on the ground were required to have a pace plan. If we had everything that General Collins just spoke about at that time on the ground, would have made it much even, much easier for us to have a pace plan out there. But they did. They put their pace in place. They had decats, which are the largest satellite systems. They had their mobile satellite systems. They had the handheld radios and things like that. But we also did a split where we had commanders also do their pace. So we moved, you know, commanders away from the bases so that we had a better opportunity for, you know, more command and control and continuity of, of the operation if anything were to were to go wrong. So, yeah, th- this is really important that we have pace in place, and we we cannot operate with the network forward. Uh, what we found out is that, you know, Iran's, you know, missiles could reach all of our data centers. They could reach all of our forward bases, and so our bases needed to be further away. If they had got a strike on one of our data centers, could have put the entire uh, environment at risk out there. So we have to look at a more mobile, more agile way of producing uh, and having data sent to our commanders as well. So definitely not something we want to do right now is bringing the network forward to that capacity without being agile.
0: Is there anything you can say within classification bounds about how that that, that situation around the aho out attack would have been different if you had those PACE capabilities?
4: Yeah, in an unclassified environment, I, I would just say that if we had some of the PACE plans and the, the transports that uh, General Collins just spoke about, um, I think we could have spread the force out even further. How
0: does this all feed into where the Army more broadly wants to go with the unified network plan, which is fresh out, not many people have had a chance to look through it in, in much detail yet, but broadly, where's the Army going with the, with this plan?
3: I, I can just jump in and talk about what we would build off of well, from what General Collins and General Ray just talked about. Sure. right? So they've been talking about increasing our capacity and our options and our resilience. right? The more network paths that we have available, uh, the more opportunities we have to get data where it needs to go, the more opportunities we have to extend our range and do these kinds of things and be resilient through uh, communication links that may go down, right? but the complexity that comes in there is 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 not insignificant right when we're adding a bunch of different things that could in theory get data there they all have to be configured right it can add a layer of management complexity and so part of the future of the unified network plan is for that to be more automated right that's a focus area the future capability sets so that these paths can not only be employed and provide resilience but that they're essentially hands-off from a you know manual configuration perspective and so The pace plan that General Ray is talking about becomes more of an automated pace plan where all you need to know is that you need to exchange data or you need to put data somewhere, you need to pull it down and you don't have to worry about the intricacies of how the network might be architected in order to to get that data where it needs to go.
0: And we're not there yet. Even though we have these multiple pathways, the S6 is still thinking a lot about which pathway the data is traveling over at any given moment or the individual soldier might be if it's something soldier-worn, right?
1: Yeah, I I think we are um, absolutely increasing the alternate paths, but I think as uh, Mr. Welch mentioned, and, and, you know, to General Ray's vision, the ability to automate that path selection process, you start getting into some of these more sophisticated decision-making processes and algorithms, that is one area where we need to continue to push on and then actually starting to drive down, you know, some of these options, Uh, within the leader radio you know you're kind of limited by the the types of spectrum that you can operate in but as you start getting into higher capacity satellite you know being able to drive down the space weight and power uh, so we can consolidate into almost a modular set of family of of capability so we can drive down and consolidate from a physical footprint I think probably both on the, the algorithm decision making and the physical footprint is some areas we really need to push on but I think that on the unified network too it's We've started with tactical, you know, it sets the foundation. Now we start to look at scale, how do we can do this across the unified network to include joint coalition as General Ray mentioned too. You know, how we decrease the burden, it's what required the tactical footprint and things we can do over the horizon, outside of sanctuary, do it at the enterprise and deliver the capability down the point of need through a transport agnostic system. I think you know, there's a lot of opportunity there to reduce that physical footprint on the forward edge of the, the tactical formations.
0: And so back to General Gray's point about not taking the network with us, it's pro- most of the data is probably not back in CONUS too, I would assume, because of latency, so what's the in-between kind of sweet spot where, where most of the stuff of value really is? Yeah, great
4: question. So we have regional hub nodes around the world, and uh, what the future holds is that we bring most of that data closer in a cloud environment to the regional hub nodes, and other environments. You know, We have uh, a lot of other areas that we could put data uh, but we have to get it closer to the edge as well so they can uh, reach for that data and, and, uh, and, and collaborate with it.
3: Yep. As well as distributed and persistent, right? And so I think, I think part of what General Ray is talking about is we don't want it in one vulnerable location, right? So um, when General Collins earlier was talking about a data fabric, the means of, of connecting uh, disparate data sources together, underlying that, concept is also the the concept of the ability to synchronize and discover and persist data right and so today that might mean individual servers Um, going forward that means probably collections of servers and more resilient failover capabilities so that um, if a server does go down if a location isn't available it's not as if all data uh, for a tactical operation uh, is lost.
0: Joe Welch is director of the Army's C-5 ISR Center. He's back with us along with General Collins and General Gray to talk more about Army network modernization after one more break on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DoD. I'm Jared Serbian. It's on DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with Major General Rob Collins, the Army's Program Executive Officer for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical. Also, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, the Director of the Network Cross-Functional Team at Army Futures Command, and Joe Welch, the Director of the C-5 ISR Center, part of the Army's Combat Capabilities Development Command. They talked with me at the annual AUSA conference in Washington about the Army's ongoing network modernization efforts. Whoever wants to jump on this, can can you just talk about the process by which you're figuring out Which types of data, which networks, which systems an individual soldier is going to have access to? Because it can't be everything, right? But it's got to be some part of the Enterprise Network, I would assume. I don't think you know exactly what parts yet, but can you talk about that discovery process and that decision process?
1: I would would start with some of the experimentation that we do with Mr. Welch and through the Project Convergence Initiative. I think... um, One of the things we mentioned earlier, too, is that trying to tackle the data problem sometimes is like trying to boil the ocean. That's a very large problem space. And so, you know, the the team has collectively identified a series of mission threads, uh, both, uh, you know, from a land component and from a joint force threads that are very critical. And I think that allows us to, you know, kind of shine a light on the types of threads, the types of data uh, the types of uh, you know various security domains and enclaves that we need to be able to traverse, and as we focus in on those various threads, you know what's parts of the process that we need to standardize that data, whether it's position location, whether it's graphical control measure, whether it's mapping data, or whether it's fire uh, mission types of data that are you know very structured that we need to get into maybe a more of an unstructured type of environment for discoverable, and I I think that bound has allowed us to at least identify a set of. Prior to prioritized efforts that we can then start to focus on and build over time. And that's something we've even brought the joint community in, uh, our JADC2 CFT counterparts and our other services to make sure that whether it be Army, whether it be Air Force, Navy, uh, we can start to get after this problem space. So I think that's been a very uh, informative initiative uh, that's allowed us to put some prioritization on it.
3: I'd also say there's a bit of a paradigm shift, even in that question, right, about what does a soldier need access to, right? So it almost uh, implies that we need to decide in advance the data that is needed someplace. And so and that is important. We should know what data is required uh, in order to have, a, to have an effect. But I think some of the things that we've been learning with the large number of systems that are coming online where the ability to exchange information we didn't foresee needing to exchange can lead to better outcomes, faster outcomes, right, as we look at speed, range, and convergence. I think part of it is just understanding that we might not know all of that in advance, and so what we want to have is the ability to discover data that's out there. Now, obviously, if it's a classification level that can't be processed on a lower classification system, or, um, you you know, when we're talking about the underlying security architecture of, uh, of zero trust, right, there's a piece of it that your ability to access data, right, but if you have an ability to access data, I don't think we're in the position now of prescribing, this is the only data that you might need. If the data is out there, you've got the ability to access it, you've got the right classification. Our model doesn't kind of consider that we would define that in advance because that kind of loses the point of the goodness of getting all the data in one place and being able to do analytics and process and make decisions off of that. Even for systems that we might not have uh, you know, thought about in advance, um, and you heard some of those examples earlier. Uh, about real world operations and, and, and data that needed to come together that nobody was really planning for uh, much, much earlier than that.
4: Yeah, but I would also add one more thing on that is that data created at the enterprise at a higher classification level is still data that we need at the edge in a probably a, a different classification because if they're going to execute on whatever is being created at the, the enterprise level, um, we still wanna get it down there. So that's that multi-layer security across the board and trying to get that information down to the lowest level.
0: Cloud technology to one degree or another is gonna be integral to a lot of this. How, does it matter to the Army at this point how much of that is commercial
1: and how much of that is sort of government-owned, government-operated cloud? I think we are looking, as long as it's open, it's, it's uh, standards-based and it provides us a flexibility of certainly we wanna make sure that we you know, from a data rights perspective, you know, it remains, uh, you know, our data that we don't have to, you know, whether we contribute into or when we go to take, take it out of, uh, we don't have any restrictive rights. I think we are looking at what is the best uh, value proposition. And, and I think by any construct, whether it's data fabric, whether it's cloud, uh, we are looking at a hybrid of opportunities. There are certainly things that the government in the best interest uh, to maybe... Uh, to monitor and provide. And then certainly there are things in the commercial sector as general Ray constantly talks about a, you know, the, uh, the medical industry, the finance industry, there are things that they are already doing today. Uh, but the other, the other thing too is um, we're also making sure that we stay in the driver's seat of how we drive the reference architecture, how we drive some of these standards. Um, and then we make sure from a fiscal perspective, uh, we keep it affordable.
4: And, and uh, I'll add that we want to be able to get to our data when required to protect, our data, right? So if, I, for instance, uh, cyber protection teams need an opportunity to get after the data and help and in- assist in and protect it, we want that in place so that we have our data to be able to be protected at all times.
0: That is Brigadier General Jeff Ray, the new Director of the Army's Network Cross-Functional Team, talking with me along with Major General Rob Collins, the Program Executive Officer for Command, Control, and Communications Tactical, and Joe Welch, the Director of the Army C-5 ISR Center. They joined us on the show floor at the annual AUSA conference in Washington. Earlier in the hour, we talked with Al Thompson, the CEO of HomeSafe Alliance, the company that just won the U.S. Transportation Command's $6.2 billion contract to run the military's household goods moving system. If you joined us late, no worries. The whole program will be available at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DoD or in podcast form, subscribe to ondod on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or any other fine podcast purveyor. That's it for this week's show. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to On DoD. I'm Jared Serbu. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.